Bismillah, bismillah, walhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mubalah amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah. So today inshallah is part two. Uh, last week we just started with the ayah of Allah Ta'ala beginning with ba'da wa shalajim bismillahirrahim. Amma yatasa'alun. And of course we talked about how the disbelievers were asking these questions in a way that was somewhat mocking and disrespectful. And we should remember that Allah Ta'ala says... Uh, Allah says, when you hear the verses of Allah uh, uh, recited, they are denied by them and ridiculed, so do not sit with them. So this is just an important point that Allah Ta'ala highlights that from a fiqh perspective, we are very open to people questioning. Uh, we, are, we welcome questions, we welcome discussion and even debate, but there must be a certain level of respect that is maintained on both sides. As a Muslim, you're not supposed to mock people's deen, you're supposed to rather have a respectful conversation. Now, if the verb here, instead of yatasa'alun in the present tense, the mudari', if it was in the past tense, if it said, amma tasa'alu, what have they asked each other about? Then the implication would be, that they asked each other about this matter, about this deen, about Judgment Day, about the Qur'an and the Prophet and since they didn't really have any good answers, they ultimately stopped asking and then eventually went to the Prophet asked and waited for a response. That would be the normal thing to do, you know? You go to your friends and you all talk about it, you say, do you know, do you know, I don't really know, I have some ideas, but I'm not sure, and then finally say, you know what, let's just go to him and wait for a response. Then you would expect that Allah, and perhaps it would have been in the past tense. The fact that Allah Ta'ala says, Amma yatasa'alun, that means they're constantly asking, the present tense implies continuous questioning, and this could be referencing, and Allah knows best, it could be a reference to a certain debate tactic that each and every one of us should be familiar with. It's called gish galloping. Gish galloping. So I know as many of you might hear, well, what's this term, gish galloping? So the gish gallop means what? It's a rhetorical technique in which a person in a debate attempts to overwhelm their opponent by providing an excessive number of arguments with no regard for accuracy or strength of those arguments. So in other words, what you're doing is you're flooding the conversation with a bunch of weak points, with a bunch of weak questions, in hopes that your interlocutor, the person that you're debating with, uh, becomes overwhelmed and appears defeated when in reality he could actually answer each of these questions if he was actually given the chance like the time to address each one individually. So we should be aware of this, that it could be the case, they keep asking, 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 they're just flooding with questions, not giving any actually space or room to breathe to actually answer. This is a technique of those who don't, aren't actually interested in hearing the other side. They just, what about, what about this? Well, what about this? How does this make sense? I don't get this, and what do you mean by that? And so this is called gish galloping, and we should be aware of it and call it out. When you're having a discussion with somebody and they ask you 5,000 questions, you should say to them, are you serious? Like, do you expect me to, what, go remember the first one? And, and systematically go one by one, like this is not the way you have a conversation. Then Allah says what? Uh, concerning the great news, about the great news. So these two could be understood as both questions. What are they asking each other about regarding this great news? What are they asking about? It could be two questions back to back, but it seems that the stronger opinion, most scholars seem to say, what? That rather it's a question and then followed by the answer to that question. What are they asking each other about? Well, the answer is that they're asking each other about the great news. And so it seems that Allah Ta'ala is answering this question. Now, what is the difference between naba and khabar, for example? Khabar means news. Uh, you know, piece of information, right? But khabar means any type of news. It could be important, it could be unimportant, it could be, you know, uh, gossip, it could be, etc. Naba means that news that is important, relevant, it elicits a, some sort of a response, like it moves you into action. It can lead to great benefit, like you're moving so that you can actually benefit from it. And yes, uh, 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 and of course, it's, it's something that's already great. So the fact that Allah calls it alim, 
implies that it's even bigger than you understand. And furthermore, that this could be, in fact, the greatest type of question. And we'll talk about that in a second. And in terms of this term, this uh, formulation of Naba'un Azim, it occurs twice in the Quran. Here is uh, uh, in ayah number two of Surah Naba. And also it occurs where? In uh, ayah number 67 of Surah Sa'd. Allah says, uh, Allah says, Say, it is the great news from which you turn away. So Naba'un Azim, in this context, and therefore in the, both contexts, seem to be referring to the Quran primarily. However, when you look at the different statements of various scholars, it seems that they include within it this Naba'un Azim, the Prophet Judgment Day, the fact that Allah is one, the fact that shirk is evil, which is what the Quraysh were doing, and then ultimately what they say is put all these possibilities together and ultimately Naba'un Azim is Islam. That's, it's, 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 it's Islam. What is this great news? It's the Quran, it's the Sunnah, it's the ju Judgment Day, the concept of heaven and hell. Everything that Islam comes with, this is Naba'un Azim. And honestly, I think this makes the most sense. It's just all encompassing. So yes. And then the question is, why pause between these two? Why? Well, uh, Allah Ta'ala uh, is acknowledging, the first verse is acknowledging that the Quraysh debate and discuss many matters. They talk about lots of things. They have, you know, discussions about lots of things. But the fact is, most of their chatter is meaningless, mindless, babble. It's just nonsense. However, the question is about Nabaun Azim. Now, this time that you guys are finally chatting about something useful, I'm going to make it distinct. So instead of putting in the same verse, Allah distinguishes the two to show that, yeah, you guys babble all the time about all sorts of useless stuff. Oh, you finally hit something interesting. It's almost like congratulating them. You finally discuss something useful. And this is reminding them that they aren't in a position evaluating Allah, you know, putting themselves in the... Uh, you know, uh, the, evaluator, the evaluator's seat and then trying to speak down to the Prophet rather Allah Ta'ala is evaluating them. And that's, you can see that the, just even the way it's described implies that. And also the, te the technique of mentioning uh, or offering the question and then answering it uh, to demonstrate that the teacher, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, uh, is fully understanding the problem and therefore the solution as well, this style is very similar to when Allah ta'ala says what? Al-Qahar. So it's not the first time Allah ta'ala says what? To whom belongs all sovereignty, all mulk, all dominion this day? And then Allah ta'ala immediately gives the answer which is to Allah the one and the prevailing. Al-Qahar. And as for the word azim, since I number one is describing how they treat these issues flippantly, they're treating it very flippantly, Allah is actually azim, this is a big deal. It's a strike contrast of how you're treating it. And the fact that, again, since khabar is just regular news and naba is big, important, great news, why would you call it azim again? Because uh, there isn't anything greater than this. So, this is the most serious topic, but are you a serious audience? That's the real question. This is a reminder to all of us that when we talk about anything, remember that da'wah is number one. You know, oh, we could talk about the weather and we could talk about sports and we could talk about traffic and we talk about the stock market and we could talk about a million different things that people love to talk about. But at the end of the day, when you talk about Islam, you're talking about Naba'un Azim. You're talking about the big, serious, greatest possible news that anybody can discuss. And so we should take da'wah very seriously because we know the ajr is therefore going to be great inshallah as well. Think about the difference between just wasting somebody's time with some sort of mindless chatter versus telling them something that can save their life, that could change the whole course of their life, that could change the way they live, the way they eat, the way they dress, their friends, who they marry, how they have, you know, how they raise their children. SubhanAllah, this is the power of da'wah. Just don't forget it's nabot azim. It's great. And don't take it small. Like, oh, maybe I'll talk about Islam or maybe I'll just talk to them about something else. You should really feel a weight behind it. Now, Allah Ta'ala then says in ayah number three, الَّذِي هُمْ فِيهِ مُخْتَلِفُونَ 
this Nabaun Azim, Alladhi Hum Fihi Muhtalifun, or that over which they are in a disagreement. So uh, some of uh, the Quran they agree with, other parts they disagree with, and it seems that they are in constant discussion. It seems like the, the Quraysh in the time of Mecca, they were hearing the Prophet, they say, well, this makes sense, but I don't know about that. Well, this makes sense, and they would always be confused amongst one another as to say, well, are we agree with this or we disagree with that? I mean, how much can we agree with? How much can we disagree with? I mean, we don't want to give them everything. So they were in this kind of conundrum. Mukhtalifun is in the nominal form. Allah doesn't say yakhtalifun. Allah says mukhtalifun. This is the, uh, the ism fa'il. Which, and also in addition to that, this is a jumla uh, ismiya. Both of these imply what? They indic indicate what? Permanence. That this is their constant state. This isn't like a one-time thing. That means they're constantly, and they're going to continue to disagree about this, and they're never going to come to some sort of a solution. The expected sentence, the normal sort of typical sentence here, would be, So the fihi is advanced, which is, and in addition to that, hum is added. What is the reason for this uh, uh, abnormal, you could say, or this uh, unique style of uh, sentence structure? The idea is that uh, uh, it's to stress that they are mocking the very same thing that they don't even understand themselves. Ha ha ha, that doesn't make any sense. Ha ha, I don't believe this. They're mocking something, they don't have the slightest concept of what they're talking about. The thing that you guys yourselves are specifically in disagreement about, that's what you're mocking? It's really supposed to wake them up and realize that I'm not in a position to mock. I'm in a position to be curious, to be quiet, and to listen. And ikhtilaf can not only imply disagreement with uh, other members of the party. So if there's a big group of people and they have ikhtilaf between them, it could mean that they disagree with each other. But the ikhtilaf, alladhi hum fihi mukhtalifun, that means that even internally it could imply that they have self-contradicting uh, uh, feelings about this, about this uh, situation. Like, they, like sometimes they think this, sometimes they think that. They are confused about the matter themselves. And we actually have to remember that the surah previous to this, this is surah Naba, which is surah 78. Prior to this is surah 77, which is surah Mursalat. Surah Mursalat finishes with ayah number 50, which says what? Then in what statement after the Quran will they believe? Allah finishes with the question. and says, what are you going to believe in after this? And thus, this surah begins with the disbelievers trying to either answer this question but failing or mocking this question instead of actually taking it seriously, both, both possibilities. So Allah Ta'ala says, now look, I've asked you this question and now either you're trying but you're failing, uh, you failed, or just the fact that يتسألون, and they're just uh, mocking it, they're not taking it seriously. So either way, it's bad. So they disagree about the Prophet saying that he is all sorts of different things. This is part of the ikhtilaf, that they can't even figure out what to blame him and, and, and call him. He's a uh, sha'ir, poet. He's a kahin, soothsayer. He's a uh, sahir, he's a magician. Kathab, he's a liar. Majnoon, he's crazy. He is what? He's just taking stories from old. Or what? Oh, no, it's not stories from old. Rather, he's just making it up new. Iftara. He's, he's just making it up as he goes along. So they can't even figure it out. Is it old and he's copying from old or is he making up something new? They have both. Both, both uh, accusations. Is it that he's crazy or that he's brilliantly coming up with poetry? Which one is it? So subhanAllah, they are, they, they are completely all over, the, all over the place. They can't come up with something consistent because obviously they don't know how to deal with it. Allah even says, But they say that the revelation is a mixture of false dreams. Rather, he has invented it. Rather, he is a poet. Well, no, actually, let me adjust that. Let me fix that. They constantly have these new theories. So let him bring us a sign just as the previous messengers were sent miracles. So subhanAllah, they keep on asking these different, they, they have all these different hypotheses and they can't come to anything uh, consistent. And here's an inter interesting example 
of their different states regarding knowledge of Judgment Day. Allah says, That Allah says, Rather their knowledge is arrested concerning the hereafter, rather they are in doubt about it, rather they are concerning it blind. So subhanAllah, even amongst themselves, some of them have these different statuses and stages amongst themselves regarding how they deal with wahi. And you'd honestly think that a confused person, somebody who is in discord, uh, 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 it's something that you'd want to finish. You'd want to put an end to the confusion. You want to put an end to the discord. You'd want to say, hey, does somebody have a solution that we can all get behind? You'd think that an answer with evidence that they could unite behind would be welcome. And unfortunately, some people prefer darkness over the light. So how should we approach a controversy? The fact that there's ikhtilaf in this matter, there's controversy, how should we approach it? Well, when there is a controversy, you have to ask yourself some questions. Is this important enough that it deserves my time and attention? Number one. People debate about all kinds of useless things. I don't need to be one of them. So the fact that Allah Ta'ala is talking about purpose of life and the afterlife, these things are important. Number two, what are my tools of investigation? And since what we typically, a rational person would say, what is authentically reported? What can I trust that people are telling me of what they've seen and heard and so forth? And furthermore, rationality is what I want to use. I want to use rationality, logic, and try to figure out based on history and based on what people know, what's going on in the world. And number three is, how can I evaluate or judge the evidence presented by obviously genuinely listening, having honest and open debate, discussion, and see what, who comes out on top. You let everybody put their ideas together and you see who genuinely comes out on top. Instead, these people, as are, as Allah, uh, they are as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them, Allah says, and indeed, those who differ, same, same word, ikhtilaf, those who differ over the book are in extreme dissension. They are in extreme opposition. The fact that they are just pushing away, this is not the way. The, 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 having a, 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 a huge bias, having aversion to the truth is clearly not a way to get to the bottom of an issue. There are many different ayat that are related to this. Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ إِنَّ وَعَدَ اللَّهِ حَقٌ وَالسَّاعَةُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهَا قُلْتُمْ مَا نَدْرِي مَا السَّاعَةُ إِنَّ ظُنُّ إِلَّا ظَنَّنَ وَمَا نَحْنُ بِمُسْتَيْقِنِينَ Allah says, and when it was said, indeed the promise of Allah is truth, and the hour is coming, no doubt about it, you said, we, not, uh, we know not what is the hour, we uh, assume only assumption, and we are not convinced. So, you know, just these ayats of people saying, look, we don't know what's going on, and we're, you know, we're just disagreeing about it. Allah also says, That there is no, they, they say what? There is none but our worldly life, and we will not be resurrected. So, they have different, difference of agreement about this, difference of opinion about this. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's many different ayat about this. And what's interesting is that since the disbelievers are insincere, focusing on the wrong questions, asking the wrong people, and aren't utilizing their God-given tools available to them, as we just Listed a moment ago, Allah Ta'ala then therefore responds to this, 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 this mess of a situation by saying what? Kalla, absolutely not, no way. Kalla, sayyalamun. No, this is wrong. Their whole approach, they're not taking advantage of the opportunities they have, they're not being sincere, they're not being genuine, they're not being serious. Kalla, absolutely not. Sayyalamun, they're gonna know the truth. Or Allah says they're gonna know. It doesn't say what they're gonna know, just sayyalamun, they're gonna know. So the kalla, this word no, could imply stop. That's another implication. No, stop what you're doing. As in, stop doubting, stop debating, questioning as if this is some sort of doubt, doubtful matter. Or it could mean stop asking each other when each of you are equally ignorant, the blind guiding the blind. It doesn't make any sense. Or it could mean stop asking when deep down you're just mocking, you're not sincere about this. And Allah Ta'ala is saying, no, the reality is what? Say, you will know the truth. You will know the reality, inshallah Ta'ala. 
Another perspective is that what kella, this word no, is a response to the idea of debating about Judgment Day altogether. Why should we even have a debate about Judgment Day? Number one, it'll only be fully understood once you're actually experiencing it. So you'll never be able to fully comprehend that day until it actually happens. So all the debate in the world won't actually make you experience it, number one. And number two, because a person doesn't have to be convinced of Judgment Day for it to be just. Think about it. Let's say you don't believe in Judgment Day. Does that mean that it's unjust for you to be resurrected? Of course not. Because on Judgment Day, when you're resurrected, what's going to happen? You're going to be given exactly what you deserve. Whether you knew about it or not doesn't make a difference. Everybody, if justice takes place, gets what they deserve. You can't call that unjust. Oh, but I didn't know. So what? I'll give an analogy. It's like a hidden security camera. Why do you think people hide security cameras? They don't want you to know that they're there, right? You know, it's like, oh, that, that's not fair. I only robbed that bank because that security camera was hidden. You guys should have put it out in the public so I could have seen that you were recording me. No, it doesn't work like that. They're kept secret for a reason. In a similar fashion, we're given free will to act as we want so that we can be judged for who we really are, not just how we'd act when we're being obviously watched, evaluated, and judged. If there were malaika, if there were angels constantly standing above you, every time you're thinking about doing something wrong, they're like, hey, <laughs> you know, hey, watch it, right? You'd be a good person, but not because you're a good person. Everybody gets the point? So, don't worry, I don't, I don't need to prove it. This isn't, it's not like it's unjust if you don't know if there's a judgment day. No, judgment day will be just regardless, even if you don't know it's there. So, just like the hidden security camera, and Allah knows best. The word, the the harf sin here, sa, ya'lamun, means that you will soon know. You will soon know. Ya'lamun means you'll know, but Allah doesn't say the maf'ul bihi. Allah doesn't mention what will be known. Why? Because they'll know about lots of things. The truth about Islam, the truth about the Prophet the truth about the Qur'an, the truth about resurrection, about their punishment, about their own hidden motives uh, that they were being recorded, which they didn't really realize. So yes, subhanAllah, there's lots of things that are going to be exposed on that day. And the Prophet says what? إِذَا مَاتَ أَحَدُكُمْ وَعُرِضَ عَلَيْهِ مَقْعَدُهُ غُدْوَةً وَعَشِيًا إِمَّا النَّارُ وَإِمَّا الْجَنَّةُ that the Prophet says, the Sahih Bukhari, authentic hadith, when any one of you dies, his destination is displayed before him in the forenoon and in the afternoon, basically in the morning and the evening, either hellfire or paradise, and it is said to him, that is your place until you are resurrected and sent to it. So subhanAllah, this is what you are exposed to. You're exposed to a portion of paradise to keep you motivated and happy and rest comfortably, or exposed to hellfire, may Allah protect us. Uh, there's an interesting hadith, Kana Uthman ibn Affan, إِذَا وَقَعَ عَلَىٰ قَبْرٍ يَبْكِي حَتَّى لِحْيَتَهُ فَقِيلَ لَهُ تَذْكُرُ الْجَنَّةَ وَالنَّارِ وَلَا تَبْكِي وَتَبْكِي مِنْ هَذَا so, so, so when Uthman ibn Affan stood beside the grave, he would weep until his beard became wet. And it was said to him, you remember paradise and hellfire and you don't weep. People talk about Jannah wa Nar and you don't weep. But when you, you weep for this, why is it that when you see the grave, this is what really triggers you? And he said that, uh, the Prophet said what? إِنَّ الْقَبْرَ أَوَّلُ مَنَازِلِ الْآخِرَةِ فَإِن نَجَى مِنْهُ فَمَا بَعْدَهُ أَيْسَرُ مِنْهُ وَإِن لَمْ يَنْجُ مِنْهُ فَمَا بَعْدَهُ أَشَدُّ مِنْهُ uh, that the Prophet said, what? The grave is the first stage of the hereafter. Whoever is delivered from it, uh, what comes after it is easy, easier. And if he is not delivered from it, then what comes after it is harder. And also the Prophet said, what? I have never seen any horrible scene, but the grave is more horrible. So subhanAllah, I guess it's that first hit. It's that first reality 
that people are alone and people are stuck in this qabr. And the Prophet is saying, this is just, it's the most, it's the scariest of horrors. SubhanAllah. A similar ayah to this is what? Similar concept that Allah says in Surah Ghafir, ayah number 70. Those who deny the book and that which we sent our messengers, they are going to know. I want to keep going, inshallah ta'ala. If you don't mind, if you guys can be patient with me, I'll go for two more ayat, inshallah. I just want to make sure we can cover this section. Hope you guys can be patient, inshallah. Then Allah says what? Then, because uh, of course, this, these two uh, go together. Then Allah says what? Then, no, they are going to know. So basically, this ayah is repeated with a thumma in front of it, right? So there's this, why the repetition? So there's a few hypotheses, and I'd like to go over them, inshallah ta'ala. Number one, just for emphasis, and this seems reasonable. If Allah Ta'ala says something multiple times, Allah Ta'ala is emphasizing something. Allah mentions it over and over again. So that's possibility one, number one. And some scholars take that, but most of them say that's probably one of the weaker positions. Then, the word thumma can imply an increase in intensity. Implies an increase in intensity, as in you're going to know it on another level. So the first one is describing witnessing judgment day. When you're resurrected and you see judgment day, that is a certain level of knowledge that you now have. However, the second is describing their witnessing of hellfire described later on. So in ayat 17 to 20 of this very same surah, it talks about judgment day. And then from ayat 21 to 30, it talks about uh, hellfire. So wallahu alam, it could be that these two are like introducing the introduction to these two sections that are coming up. You're going to know on Judgment Day, and then you're going to know even more in the Hellfire. In other words, the disbeliever will know how wrong they were when they're resurrected. However, when they are entered into Hell, they will know on a completely different level. SubhanAllah, this is a very, very scary concept. Some people will never get it until, uh, uh, never get it, and will have to learn the hard way. SubhanAllah, you'll have to learn through pain, and then you'll get to know it even more worse. A third possibility is is Abdul Haqi says that these two verses are for different audiences. That the first one is for the disbelievers and the second one is for the believers. Uh, no, you're going to know, as in you disbelievers are going to know, and by the way, you believers, you're going to know as well. You're going to know the truth about the situation fully. That's an interesting possibility. Number four is what? That it could be referring to this life versus the next life. It could be that on the battle of Badr, when they were miraculously killed, and you see the angels surrounding you and swarming you and killing you, then you're going to know the truth. And then when you're resurrected, you'll know it even more. So it could be dunya versus akhirah, or another possibility is that as Islam grows, and as more Qur'an comes down, and as this deen spreads, you will know more and more and more in this dunya, and then when you die and you're resurrected, you'll know 100% uh, when you are resurrected. That's another possibility. Another possibility is number point number five is what? Uh, 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 it could be the truth about resurrection versus Islam. It's that when you die and you're resurrected, then you'll know the truth that you were wrong, but then on Judgment Day, you'll see that the believers are being rewarded. That's when you'll find out that the people that you were mocking, they were the correct ones, they were right. So it could be that contrast. You'll know that you were wrong, and then later on, you're going to find out that they were, the ones you were mocking, the ones you were putting the least, the, the, the furthest down, they were actually the ones that were right. That's another possibility. Point number six is what? The fact that Allah says, Amma yatasa'alun, and uh, I number one, mentions that we learned that these disbelievers would keep questioning the Prophet even after he answered the question as if they're doubting even after they received a clear answer. Therefore, Allah Ta'ala is sarcastically informing them that despite their tendency to question even after they've gotten the answer, they won't do that once they're resurrected. In other words, Allah Ta'ala is saying, you'll be resurrected, and guess what? Now you're going to know the truth. And again, once you know, you will not doubt, 
you, uh, not even once, you will absolutely know the truth. So you know your tendency to ask, getting an answer, and then asking it? No, 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 this time, no. You'll know, and trust me, you won't have to ask again. You'll know. So subhanAllah could be a, a, that sort of double emphasis there. Point number seven is what? The double repetition implies perpetual uh, continuity. In other words, it's saying what? You'll know. And then after things get worse, you'll know even more. And then once things get worse, then you'll know on a different level. And you'll know on a different level, and it'll keep on going so on and so forth. So forth. And this is exactly paralleling the ayah in this very same surah, ayah number 30, where Allah says, فَذُوقُوا فَلَنْ نَزِيدَكُمْ إِلَّا عَذَابًا you will not increase except in punishment. Allah says, so taste the penalty and never will we increase you except in torment. So each time the torment increases and gets worse, you will have a new appreciation and a new knowledge of just how bad you were. Final few points inshallah ta'ala. I know I went long, but just a final few points. Da'wah is to tell people, just think about it. It's not always about giving these elaborate arguments going into deep philosophical argumentation, sometimes da'wah is just about telling people, guys, take this seriously. As Allah Ta'ala says, what? We talked about this when we covered Surah Tariq, when Allah says what? Indeed, the Quran is a decisive statement. It's not amusement. Take this seriously. This is a da'wah technique. I'm not really offering a very uh, complex uh, philosophical argument. I'm just trying to encourage the person. I'm just trying to get them a little bit serious. Please, this is really a big deal. Allah Ta'ala says what? No, man has not yet accomplished what he has commanded. You haven't taken this seriously yet. This is one possibility. One meaning is what? You haven't taken your life. You haven't taken your akhirah seriously yet. What is? What are you waiting for? So this is, uh, and Allah Ta'ala says what? قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَعِذُكُمْ بِوَاحِدَةٍ أَن تَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ مَثْنَى وَفُرَادًا ثُمَّ تَتَفَكَّرُوا Say, I only advise you of one simple thing, that you stand for Allah, either in pairs or as individuals, and give thought. Just think about it. So subhanAllah, the fact that Allah Ta'ala, again, here in this, uh, in this, in this surah, Allah is saying you're debating about this great, serious thing, you're going to know. You're going to know. You're going to know the truth. It's going to be evident. This is a, so we should, we should take this very seriously. When we give da'wah, in, yes, of course, you want to use the best argumentation you can, but sometimes it's about just saying, listen, take your life seriously. You're not going to be around forever. Take your life seriously. So the lesson is what? Our da'wah should be aimed in the same direction as well. May Allah Ta'ala make us of those who call people to Islam with the Quranic methodology. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakallah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.